Welcome, everybody. Uh, if we haven't met before, maybe this is your first time here uh, or you're new, uh, my name is Brian Guy. I am the next-gen pastor. If you're like, what is a next-gen pastor? That just means I oversee our kids and our student ministries here at First Baptist Hanford. And uh, we're at, I love this time of year, August, because we, we are um, in the middle of uh, love where you live. And if you don't know what that is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a moment throughout the year where we pause and we think, how can we be intentional about loving our community of Hanford and Lamorne, just Kings County in general. And so as, uh, as Pastor Jeff was sharing, there, we've already jumped into it. There's already been some things that we've done. Last week we delivered a, we called it a survival kit, but essentially a, a care package for a new science teacher at Sierra Pacific High School. And there were snacks in there, there were gift cards, there were teacher supplies like staplers and organizers. And then of course at the very top there is a Stanley mug because Every teacher has one, and we wanted her to feel like she fit in at Sierra Pacific High School. So we, we, were sh we made sure to get her that. And then also, uh, yesterday we, uh, we did a carnival out on the Lamore base, and I was told it was amazing. I heard hundreds of people came out. Uh, it was a good family time, a good family um, just event. And then there was a cornhole competition. Pastor Jeff said I was not allowed to participate because we're not allowed to take home trophies, so I didn't want to steal that from from anybody. And then coming up this Tuesday, we are providing lunch for our CH, local CHP office uh, to care for and love for our first responders. And then at some point in the near future, we will be delivering food, uh, lunch to a field crew here in Hanford. Um, I still don't have the details because as the next-gen pastor, I'm almost viewed as like the little brother of the pastors. So I get the info once everything's solidified and they feel like he can handle it. So I should have that here pretty soon. But nonetheless, as we are in this season, it had me thinking um, just about community in general. Not, not necessarily Hanford, but just relationships and how important relationships are. Because truly, we are designed to be in community with other people. Like it's, it's built into our DNA that we, we need relationships because honestly it's a reflection of how God designed us. We are made in the image of God and God is in perfect relationship with himself. And so we, um, we're just wired. We need to be in community. And I don't know about you if you've ever been in a place where you don't have a community to call your own, like a group of whether it be family or friends or someone that knows you and you, you know them and, and it's this beautiful relationship, but... Um, if you've ever been in a place where you don't have that, man, it's dark. It's a hard place to be. And I know that firsthand, um, and bear with me because I'm going to go back into my childhood for a moment. But growing up, I had this awesome group of friends when I was in elementary school. But slowly throughout the years, we started to just kind of, um, our, our relationships began to separate a little bit. By the time I got to middle school, I didn't have friends. And then going into high school, I was terrified because I'm, while I'm at a small town, it is, it is the most terrifying thing to enter high school without friends. And so I, I go into my freshman year without friends, and I'm in my math class. And I don't know if I was good at math or if the other people in my class are really bad at math, but I was with a lot of sophomores. So I was thinking, did they get held back? Am I, was I placed up? Either way, I'm with a bunch of sophomores, and this guy behind me, after a week of school, he taps me on the shoulder. And I kind of turn, and he tells me, hey, man, um, if you keep wearing hats every day, you're going to go bald. Thanks. Okay. 
appreciate that. But what, what I didn't realize was that was a moment in time when my, the trajectory of my future would immediately take a turn. Because this guy took me under his wing. He was a sophomore. He was really cool. He was actually kind of higher up on the, the social hierarchy, so he was, he was pretty popular. And um, he welcomed me into his friend group. We bonded over soccer. We were both terrible at it, but we loved it. And so we, we made the soccer team. And then um, I, his friends became my friends. And slowly I started dressing like them. I started talking like them. I started acting like them because that's sort of what happens uh, when, when you are with people that you really enjoy being around. So, as, uh, as high school's progressing, the next three years or so, I'm beginning to, to become just like them. And the problem is, as I'm becoming like them, I began to get the reputation that they had, which wasn't necessarily a good reputation. Because while, while they were pretty awesome dudes, they, they didn't exactly do the best things. They made some pretty poor decisions. They drank underage, they smoked, they, they slept around. And so that was sort of the... Um, that's how people saw me as well. And so why do I tell you this? I tell you this because I come from a really small town. You probably know it, Kingsburg, um, probably half the size of Hanford. And so everybody knows everybody. And so when I'm in high school, I don't have Christian friends because of the reputation I have. Out of my first three years, of three, four years, or yeah, about all of high school, I had three Christian friends. A school of over 800 people, and I have three Christian friends. Why? Because of my reputation. And I get it. I get it. Now, here's the thing. I think that if we're not careful, we can put walls, we can pull walls up to protect the church from people who are too messy. And when we do that, we foster this unhealthy insider-outsider perspective. And since I've worked, you know, in vocational ministry for maybe seven, eight years, specifically with students, I've seen this a lot in middle school and in high school. And, and here's what I, what I mean by that. Anytime we would throw an outreach event, meaning this is an event meant for students to invite their non-believing friends to experience Christian community, uh, whenever we would do that, we would tell kids, hey, invite your non-Christian friends. And there were two responses that would absolutely hurt me to my core. First one would be, Brian, I don't have any non-Christian friends. Okay. Second one, you don't want those friends here. Trust me. They fill in the blank. And it was, it was often action-oriented, like they drink, they smoke, they do these things, Brian. You don't want them here. Trust me. You see, these two responses tell us more than we think. Let's start with the first one. If we're not careful, when someone becomes a Christian, we're quick to, to rip them out of their community and only surround them with Christians. And like I said, it's unintentional. And it, it, we have good intentions behind it, right? Like we want to grow their faith. We want to help, help nurture their faith. And so what do we say? We say, hey, Sunday mornings, you should be here at church, which I agree with. That's great. So then they're here Sunday mornings. And then we tell them, hey, you need to be plugged into uh, Wednesday night small groups. Awesome. And then we tell them, hey, actually, there's a men's Bible study Monday night. You should be a part of that as well. Okay. And actually, there's a men's fellowship that meets Thursday nights as well. You should come to that. Okay. Oh, you're musically talented? Brian Asbury will use you on the, on the band. They practice Tuesday nights and then they come in early Sunday mornings. Oh, okay. Before you know it, 
your entire week, you're surround, you, you've been ripped out of your community, and you're surrounded just by Christians. That's what I mean by it. It's, it's unintentional. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Brian, maybe, maybe that's what was needed for them to grow in their faith. Maybe they were being pulled down by their non-Christian family and friends, and they really need to be surrounded by Christians to grow in their faith. Sure, that's definitely possible. But I think it's even more likely that God wants to use that person in their non-Christian community to be able to share the gospel with them. So that was the first one. That was the first way we, we put up walls and fostered that unhealthy insider-outsider dynamic. The second one, the second one, while the first one's a little bit more passive, the second one is a, is a little bit more ag- aggressive in its approach. It's this belief that a person must fix themselves before they can belong in this community. And that's tough. Because essentially what we're saying is that um, we're, we're refraining from inviting someone to church until you look more like a Christian. We're essentially telling them, hey, you're a little too messy for us here. Let's clean you up a little bit. How about we, 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 we clean this part of your life up and then, you know what, you'll, you'll fit in just right here. And I think both of these responses, they reveal a sincere struggle we have with, with the holiness of the church. Because the holiness of, a, of the church is, is a real thing. Like, we want the church to, to be, um, I mean, it's the bride of Christ, right? We want it to be presented to God in a way where, hey, God, we are working actively to remove the sin from our lives, remove the sin from our community. Paul talks about this so much in the epistles, like in his letters to the various churches. He's telling them, you, like, you are in Christ now. Like, let the Holy Spirit work that sin out of you. And so we have this sincere struggle of, of holiness in the church that, that it, it runs headfirst into, okay, but what about someone who's not a Christian yet but needs to experience Christian community, but they're messy? What does that look like? It's a, it truly is a tough place to be. And the problem is if these two responses begin to form the culture of a church, then we might as well close the doors, put up a for sale sign, because we're not doing what Jesus commissioned us to do. And it's only a matter of time before this church, any, the church is dead if that's the case. We have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with the world. And not the people who we think fit the mold of what a Christian ought to look like, what a Christian ought to act like. My old pastor used to say that the local church is a hospital. It's a hospital. It's messy. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are broken. And this is where they come to be a part of the community to be restored. Because God is at work in restoring the hurt and the broken. And people's brokenness looks different than yours. Remember, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of God's redemption. People's People's shortcomings, they look different. People's mess, it looks different. For some, it's the fact that maybe they've poured themselves into their work for so long that they, they don't have relationships anymore. They don't have connection. Maybe for some, someone is, is, is getting a divorce because of abuse. And they just need to know that God is with them and God loves them. Maybe they've been struggling with addictions and they need help. They need someone who's going to walk alongside them and support them. 
The church is a hospital. So whatever the hurt is, our job is not to keep them out or make them fix themselves before they enter the community. Our job is to allow the Holy Spirit to work. So here's the question for this morning that we need to wrestle with. What should the church look like if it's doing its job? If it's welcoming the outsider? If it's healing the hurt and the broken? If people are being transformed, what should that look like? And thankfully, Jesus shows us. If you have your Bibles with you, please open up to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be uh, in verse 13 this morning, going through that passage. Uh, if you have a device, feel free to, to open that up. Otherwise, we're going to have it up on the screen. Uh, if you're new to church and you brought a Bible with you and you don't know where it is, just open the table of contents at the front and you'll see two major sections. You'll see an Old Testament and a New Testament. Old Testament is everything before Jesus came. New Testament is the life of Jesus and the start of the church. So Mark is in the New Testament. And when you get there, the large numbers are the chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. So we are in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Okay, if, if you are someone who likes to mark up your Bible, I encourage you to look at verse 14. Underline it, highlight it, circle it, do something. Verse 14 is so important to this text. We're going to come back to it a little later, but I just want to make sure that, that that is on the forefront of your mind. You see, Mark tells us a lot without telling us a lot. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, let's talk about the location. So Jesus is walking and he's teaching alongside the Sea of Galilee. At this point in Mark's gospel, only four disciples are following Jesus. Four disciples. They are Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And these four guys are all fishermen who Jesus recruited from the Sea of Galilee. That's important. Store that away. As Jesus, And so... Um, a, there, as Jesus is walking alongside the shore, who does he see? Levi. It mentions him by name, Levi. And where is Levi? He, he's in a tax collector's booth. Now, that means nothing to us in 2023. If I said he was sitting in a toll booth on a freeway, then you would know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And then if I changed a little bit, if I said that um, toll booth was, was run by the cartel... That might change your image a little bit, right? If I said that toll booth was run by the cartel and was on a freeway in Mexico, then you have a, a completely different image. Why did I go in that direction? Well, you see, uh, the tax collectors, they were some pretty shady characters. The way this worked is uh, there is the, the Roman government put a, a tax booth, which is almost like a toll booth, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And just like a freeway, if you want to use it, you have to pay. And so you would pay this, this 
tax to get on the, on the lake and do your fishing. Now the problem is tax collectors often took more than they were supposed to in order for them to get rich quick. So if you owe $10 in taxes, they're going to take 12 and they're going to pocket $2 and give 10 to the Roman government. They were slimy like that. And then to make matters worse, these tax collectors were actually Jewish people who were extorting their own people. So they're, they're Jewish people who are extorting their own people, who are working with the, the enemy, the Roman government. And because that they are interacting so much with Gentiles and in interacting so much with, with pagans, they are permanently seen as unclean because of this. So we have this guy, Levi, who has done some terrible things to his own people. And who is, who is seen by the general population, the Jewish people, as, as a, an apostate, as a traitor, as unclean. And what does Jesus do? He walks up to Levi and he invites him to follow him. Meaning, be my student and I will teach you how to live a life that's holy and righteous. What? This guy, Levi? Jesus, that's who you're inviting to follow you? Are you sure? Like, out of anybody, like, you have this crowd of people who want to be your disciple, who want to be your student. You get all these people who are desiring holiness and righteousness, and who do you select? You go up to the guy who is, who is unclean, who's slimy, who's super messy, and you invite him to follow you? Are you sure? And you see, Mark jumps ahead a little bit in the story. He doesn't give us all these details, but he jumps ahead to where Jesus is at, um, at Levi's house. And they're sharing a meal together. It tells us that Levi is, is hosting them and that there's a lot of Levi's friends there. Tax collectors, and, and they even use the word sinners. They're eating with Jesus and who? His disciples. So take a moment and consider the social dynamics uh, of this dinner party. Jesus brings together two groups of people who should not be together. Remember what I said about his four disciples who were with him thus far on this journey. We have four fishermen. Four fishermen who fished on the Sea of Galilee who had interactions with who? Levi. Were those good interactions? Probably not. Did he steal money from them? Probably. And Jesus brings his disciples together with Levi and Levi's friends, and they break bread together, meaning they have a meal together. Jesus, he does things that just don't make sense to us. And here's the thing, Jesus, Jesus wasn't even trying to hide it. Like, it's one thing if he's like, hey, let's share a meal, but let's close the doors, let's close the windows. I don't want people to see. I'm a, I'm a teacher, right? Like, I'm a religious teacher. I have an image to uphold. People shouldn't see me with you. He doesn't do that. It's public that he's eating with them. How do I know this? It, the story tells us that these Pharisees enter the picture, and they ask Je No, they don't ask Jesus. They ask who? They ask his disciples, why is he eating with these people? Why is he eating with these sinners, these tax collectors, these people 
who are slimy, who are messy. I guess we should kind of know who the Pharisees are, right? The Pharisees were, were these religious teachers who were highly concerned with holiness. They wanted the Jewish people to be holy, to get back on track. And so they, they set up all these rules and all these regulations to prevent people from breaking the rules and the regulations that God already put in place. So they were, they were quite burdensome. But they were seen as like the religious elite. And Jesus is going against their traditions. He's going against their orthodoxy. And he's sharing a meal with someone who's unclean, which a religious teacher should not be doing. And so they, they, they ask, they ask, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? And Jesus overhears them questioning his students or his disciples, and he, and he answers it for them. That last verse, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Notice that Jesus doesn't even deny that they're sinners. Did you catch that? He wasn't like, oh, don't worry, they're, they're good people. Don't, no, they're misunderstood. No, he's, no they're, they're sinners, just like the rest of us. But the difference is they recognize they're in need of a Savior. You see, the Pharisees desire holiness within the community, but they're limited to how they can help people. Jesus has the power to transform people, but he can only help those who, who can recognize their need for him. The sick, right? Not the healthy. There is so much power within Christian community. Because notice, that's what Jesus did. He, he formed a community of people around himself. And there's so much power in that. For me, that's where I experienced transformation. Pastor Peter used the word sanctification last week. It's this, um, it's this process in which God is removing sin from your life and making you holier and holier until we die and then we are, we are in um, God's presence and we are per- made perfect. And so for me, the, the greatest time of sanctification, of transformation in my life is within Christian community. You see, when, when I did become a Christian my senior year of high school, I was trying to navigate what it meant to follow Jesus. And I was still doing worldly things that were not benefiting uh, my spiritual health. But then as I started to to get involved in Christian community, slowly I did begin to separate from those friends who were bringing me down. And after a year in college, I I I applied for and I got into, it was was a residency program. It It was an intense live-in discipleship program. And I did it for two years. And during that time, I was completely surrounded by brothers in the faith who all, all of our desire was to grow closer to God. And about halfway through, we got to this point where we're like, man, we are growing closer to God, but something feels off. It's just us here. And as we're reading through the scriptures, we're like, we're missing something. Oh, yeah, sharing the gospel. And so what we decided to do was make sure that as we are growing in our faith, we're inviting people in with us. And so we all had, you know, we all still had our non-Christian friends that we were hoping would come to know Jesus. And what we, what we did is we started to create alternatives for people. So come Halloween, 
we, uh, we blasted out, you know, text messages, and we said, hey, we're throwing a Halloween party. You guys should come. And everyone's like, no way, it's going to be wild, right? And we're like, actually, there's not going to be alcohol. There's not going to be any, like, we're just having a good time. And people are like, what? You're doing what? We're like, yeah, come hang out. And we opened our doors, and we made it a safe place for people. And so Halloween, you know, we have some friends come over, and they have a ton of fun. They're non-Christians, but they still have a ton of fun. And then come Christmas, we throw a Christmas party. Our non-Christian friends come. And, and slowly, little bit by little bit, they're like, this is a place where I want to be. There are people here who are different. And so it was no longer just these holidays and these special events where people are coming to hang out in our community. It began to be a daily thing. Like, like every night someone's in our garage working out and then they come into our house and they hang out with us. And they play Mario Kart, they drink all of our milk, and then they might stay for dinner. And little by little, all of our, our non-Christian friends began to gather into this house and we began to see transformation. People began giving their lives to Jesus and they start following Jesus. If you take anything away this morning, this is it. If you're doing anything, just stop for a moment and focus in on this. If you take anything away this morning, transformation happens in community. That's where it happens. Transformation happens in community. Jesus invited Levi into his community without requiring him to get his life together first. He invited him into his community even though he, he was seen as unclean by other people. And after spending time with Jesus... Levi becomes a Christian, is renamed Matthew, and wrote an account of Jesus' life that is now in your Bible, in your hands. I would argue that that sinner had a greater impact on the kingdom of God than I ever will. So before we write anyone off because of who they are today, let us remember that Jesus came to transform their future. And you get, an, you get the honor of being a part of that. And I'm going to assume that you want to be a part of that. Because I'm going to assume that someone invited, at some point in your life, someone invited you into their community. Whether that be grandma and grandpa who brought you to church. Whether that be your parents. Whether that be a friend from school who brought you. Like, at some point, I'm assuming someone brought you into community. And you experienced Jesus in a real tangible way. And your life has been transformed because of it. So I'm going to assume that you want that for the people that God has placed in your life as well. So how do we do that? Some things for you to think about and work through this week. First off, don't be afraid to get a little messy. And here's what I mean. When I was going through seminary, uh, we, we got to interview some pastors from Fresno and kind of learn about their lives and, and the ins and outs of church. And we were sitting down with, with one of the mega pastors in Fresno, and someone asked, how is it that you're able to connect with non-Christians? Like, how is it that you know what they're thinking, what they're going through? Because as a pastor, we're probably the furthest removed from non-Christians, because when you think about it, we go to the office, who's there? Christians. We go home, who's there? Christians. When we hang out on weekends, who are we hanging out with? Probably Christians from church. And so it was a legitimate question. How, how, do, you, how, how do you foster non, like, relationships with non-Christians? 
And I kid you not, he smiles and he sits back and he says, every Sunday night, I go to a cigar lounge in Fresno and I make friends and I smoke cigars with them. And then over time, I tell them about Jesus. <laughs> and everyone's mouth drops. We're like, you, can you do, what? You can do that? He said, my wife knows about it. My family knows about it. It's something I've been doing for years, years, and years. And we said, but what, what if someone from your church, your congregation sees you? He said, then I hope they see that I'm practicing what I preach. Here's the thing. You're not him. So that's not a green light for you to go to a cigar lounge and make friends there. <laughs> but where do you have non-Christian friends in your life? And I hope you do. Where are they? Don't be afraid to get a little messy. Don't be afraid to go have dinner after work. Jesus wasn't afraid to be a little messy. Jesus wasn't afraid to have his friends with him. So identify, where, where is that? Second, don't do it alone. Man, don't do it alone. Because here's the thing. Um, if you're not able to maintain your faith and your character when you're around your non-Christian friends, you, you need to spend a little bit more time with Christians and, and grow in your faith. But I want to encourage you to take, maybe you have a small group. Maybe you sign up for a small group after this. And you and your small group go out and you, you, you blend those communities together because ultimately that is what Jesus did, right? He blended his, his disciples, his students, with, with people that he's trying to bring into that circle. So don't do it alone. Bring together your, your multiple communities into one. I want to encourage you to do that. And then lastly, don't stop inviting. Don't stop inviting. Can you imagine for a moment what it might have been like for Levi who's sitting in that tax booth with these religious leaders who are walking by with all of their students behind them, all these people who want to learn and want to be like Jesus. There's a tangible contrast between the insiders and the outsiders. And yet Jesus walks up to someone on the outside and invites them in. Levi would have never gotten up from his tax booth if it wasn't for Jesus approaching him first and extending that invitation. And I hope you know that I'm, I'm trying to practice what I preach. A year ago, I started getting haircuts at a new place because now I work in Hanford and I want to be intentional. And so I went to a shop where I was like, this is, I don't fit in here, but I'm going to keep coming. It's like rap music playing. There's weird music videos on the TVs. Everyone's cussing and talking about things they definitely should not be talking about. And here I am trying to look down. And he's like, no, head up. I'm like, oh, I don't want to look at anything. Um, but I made a connection with this barber a year ago. And every time I'm there, I'm inviting him to church. I invite him, his family to events. And he said no. That's why I feel comfortable sharing this. <laughs> I invited him. I said, hey, I'm preaching this Sunday. You want to come? And he's like, oh, yeah. He just kept cutting my hair. I was like, okay, that's a no. And so, anyways, I told him, hey, come Halloween, we're going to have this fall carnival at our church. It's super cool. It's, it's a safe place for the family because he has a young son. He's like, hey, actually, I think I might check that out. That was probably my 20th invite to him. Don't stop inviting. Figure out who the Levi is in your life and don't Stop 
inviting. Church, imagine for a moment what Hanford would look like if we stopped seeing people by who they are right now today and we began to see people with the potential of life change, that Jesus could transform their life. Can you imagine the stories of life change that we would hear? We would see families strengthened. We would see marriages restored. We would see people freed from addictions. We would see the church being a hospital and restoring the hurting and the broken, and it all starts in community. All of this transformation happens in community. So don't be afraid for things to look a little messy. God's going to work it out. They looked a little messy when I became a Christian, and if it wasn't for the community of God, I don't know where I'd be. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your immense love that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, help us to always remember that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. Let us never forget that. Remind us every morning and help us to see that there's someone else who was once in our shoes. God, bring to our minds who that Levi is in our lives and help us to take that step forward and invite them into community, into this hospital where you are the physician and you are doing incredible things. God, help us to be um, plugged into small groups that our faith would grow strong and people would ask us, why is your life different? And we can say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. God, use this church to make an impact in our community. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in the power and the authority of Jesus. Amen.